everybody. Welcome to the Change of Perspective podcast, where we look at the world of creativity and art from many different perspectives. I am your host, Lizzie Lovejoy, artist of Change for Arc, creating work to celebrate the Northeast. Today, our topic is arts education, and I'll be talking to Susan and Hannah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Change of Perspective podcast. I'm Lizzie Lovejoy, and today we will be speaking to Hannah and Susan. How are you guys doing? We're doing fine. It's Friday and it's Easter. Yes, really good. It's great to it's great to see some sunshine. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? My name is Hannah Scully. I am a teacher of art. I have I have quite a an unusual role in the sixth form that I teach at because I'm also a technician and I work with in arts development which means working on various kind of projects. My kind of job list is ridiculously long, but um, if I could sum it up in a couple of things. Um, first of all, I'm an artist, right? That's the most important thing. If I had, you know, that thing about if your house is on fire, what would you rescue, right? So if somebody, if somebody said to me, if, if you couldn't use all the things on your email signature, which one would you keep? It would be artist, because that's what takes you into whatever you're doing anyway. But I'm freelance as a, an arts advisor and an arts consultant. And um, I work in the northeast of England and I work across the United Kingdom. I also work internationally because some of my later roles at the moment, I serve on the World Council of the International Society for Education Through Art, which is the official UNESCO organisation for art education. I'm a former president of the National Society for Education and Art and Design in this country, um, as well as working in schools, colleges, museums, etc. I'm also chair of governors in a primary school. Um, I run, with the help of my MP, the all-party parliamentary group for art, craft and design education, which used to meet in Westminster, but now meets online, obviously. And, and then outside of that, I'm a trustee of several charities, including Access Art, Monkfish Productions in Newcastle. And I'm also an associate of The Big Draw. And I think that might be it. So I think it's probably best to start off this discussion by defining what arts education actually is and the breadth of things which it covers. Because obviously there's a lot of different creative subjects out there and a lot of different avenues. And I think it's important to say like textiles is on the same footing as fine art and art, craft and design is also like music. All of that is arts and creativity based subjects. And so we're going to be talking about arts education from the perspective of educating those subjects and using areas of art to educate other topics as well. I mean, we're, we're talking within an education system, which historically was set up during the times of the Industrial Revolution. Um, so basically, it, it, it stems down from prior to that, the only people that had education were the people with lots of money, and the arts were very much part of that. You know, they went on the Grand European Tour, they learnt their musical instruments, they read their literature, they learnt Latin or whatever. Um, when, unfortunately, the working classes joined education, it was mainly to educate people to a certain level of literacy so they could become part of the mega machine of capitalism, etc. So that everything then went into boxes and labels. So if you looked at over uh, maybe 100 
and 20 years, you'd probably find that art was a subject in schools, but it was mainly kind of drawing from natural forms. I wouldn't say that um, music was anything other than listening to music. I don't think people learned dance 120 years ago. They did learn a lot of craft skills, a lot of making, because that was the idea, is to get people to use their hands and become part of, um, of the workforce. So what we're in now is we've inherited, in secondary schools in particular, because we it's not so prominent in primary schools, we've inherited silos and boxes of subjects. And that means people put themselves in competition with each other. So the textiles teacher wants to have 25 children taking textiles and the graphics teacher wants the same. So they might be even good friends in life, but they're competing against each other because of the way that we have accountability within our schools. And that's a great shame because all art forms are equal. They really, really are. And the other thing is to remember that creativity does not belong to the arts. So the most successful schools are the schools that teach everything creatively and don't have these divisions between subjects. And it's much stronger in England, that division, than it is in Scotland or in Wales or in some other countries. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. You know, when you, you sign up for an A-level, you've got, you know, like at our school, you've got five different specialisms to choose from. And sometimes, you know, kids, prospective kids are asking, what's the difference between this? What's the difference between that? And, it, and, it, and it's, it's very difficult because, because there, there's not a, a set difference. You can explore graphics within fine art. You can work digitally in art, craft and design. You can make some ceramics in uh, fashion and textiles. And it's about trying to get students to realise there's a lot of overlap in, in school and in education, as there should be and, and as there will be in, in a creative life and a career in the future yeah and there's so much you know there's the, the transferable skills it's it's it overlaps everywhere and you know and especially i think people always forget about games as well like games design we we have games design at school and if you look at games design at uni they do life drawing classes they do sculpture like it is just it's it's there's so much overlap and, and that's that's really brilliant and that's that's yeah. why it's so exciting to yeah, yeah. do that but if you look at um I guess qualifications like Arts Award, Arts Award is great because you can do that um, qualification by doing some sculpture, but also some dance, yeah. some music, you can do, you can do a multitude of different things and it all, it's all about the art. Yeah, the games thing is interesting. I remember once with the Baltic, we ran a Saturday session for secondary pupil, which was run by Ubisoft, the games designers in Gateshead. Six schools came with like, talented children from their schools and these kids all turned up with iPads and laptops and the games designers, there were three of them, they said put those over in the corner, we're not using them and they spent the day making characters for games out of clay and writing stories about characters. The kids were astonished but then they went back to school the next week and said to their uh, teachers I need to do some more drawing, I need to understand how a figure moves you know, they had assumed that you just had to have ability to code. And it isn't about that. It's about invention, isn't it? 
tell you it's really interesting Norman Foster the architect I don't know Norman Foster but I know Narinda Sagu who's one of his main men and they have a drop down session at, it's open plan the architect's office in London drop down session half a day every week where everybody in the organisation is invited to come and draw whether it's the people on reception or the security guards or the architects they all draw together I think that's brilliant yeah that's such a good idea and I think that kind of brings on to the question of how does art help everyday people and how does art education help people with everyday life if even if you're not specifically working in an art subject Mm -hmm. how do creative activities and creative education how does that help you progress with everyday working you only have to look at lockdown and and what was keeping everybody sane really don't you (laughs) for the example everyone was out and about people going on walks taking photographs drawing people joining things online people making things with their kids people you know building things out of mud you know people it's everyone was engaging with music and art and creativity whilst being stuck in the house it's one of the things that makes us stand among above other primates because we always have to remember that human beings are very very well developed primates is that we started to use our thumb and our finger and our hands and we started to make things in our history which is why our closest relatives, the baboons and the gorillas, didn't get to that stage. So they're quite happy in their way of life, etc. So it's, it, it's there in human psyche and being to make. And making is creativity. Simple as that. You know, and if we three were washed up on a desert island today, we wouldn't just sit there. We'd start working out where the sun was, where to put the shelter, what we could do with this, that and the other. You know, I always loved the Tom Hanks film, Castaway, for that reason. When the basketball becomes a real person, Wilson, the basketball, you know, and, and saves his sanity. Yeah, it's fascinating the idea that creativity is necessary for sanity and necessary for being able to just develop and manage in day-to-day life. I know that I would definitely really struggle if I didn't have any means to be creative. Yeah. And so I feel quite lucky to be in a position where I'm able to do that. Lockdown's really revealed a class divide and a difficulty in terms of being able to literally afford to have the equipment and be able to do these activities. A really important point, because that's the other thing. The social divide's been heavily underlined by by lockdown it's always there and it's never going to go away but we kind of then measure success in being creative in in the cross stitch kits or the sculpture kits give a child one piece of paper for one hour and they will make something with it know and 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 we we will do that that's the desert island mentality i mean i play with things all the time right i've got some post-it notes on here and all the time we're talking i'll be flicking with these and and i've already drawn on the back of them right so it's just there it doesn't have to always be that you have a 1000 piece jigsaw or a set of paint by numbers oil paints it's just there play outside go into the woods and pick up twigs Look what you can do. 
Oh yes. I think this really links to um, the you know the the big draw that we did as well in in the autumn. Susan and I are both on the steering group for the Northeast Art Teacher Education Network, um, Neaton, and we you know we really wanted to make an inclusive event and thought about what what people are going to have available to them. We usually we love our big draw events and we draw in hundreds of people usually, and we weren't able to do that this year. Um, I think. You know, Susan certainly and, and the rest of the team had loads of great ideas about the arboretum and what people have at home, using leaves, building trees out of anything. Yes. Uh, making it inclusive because people people can be people who aren't haven't had a formal arts education can sometimes find it a bit intimidating, like, oh, you know, I haven't had any drawing training, I can't do this or but actually making those sort of events open to everybody, families, you know, we had such a such a broad range of people turn up from all over the place and uh, engage with videos and send in pictures to our our Facebook group, the Arboretum. And it was really, it was great. It was great to see so many, all different ages getting involved and making trees, drawing trees, making them out of piles of cotton buds and all sorts. There was nobody that couldn't have joined in that day. You know, nobody at all. Even when I think Elaine Humbleby went and mowed her lawn right which she was going to do anyway and she mowed a tree into the lawn and I just thought that was incredibly <laughs> brilliant. So you've already ended up starting talking about this anyway but yeah. what I wanted to ask is how have you used creativity to teach and what have you used creativity to teach and what methods have you used? Are you talking um, within a, an art context or outside of that? Both. Well, when I was a teacher, um, I always started my projects with a starting point that was a question so that I didn't give children, I never showed children what a good one looks like. So I, I, if I showed any examples, I would show a range of examples. Um, but it was always done through questioning. What can you do with that? And I never answered questions directly, which annoyed a lot of children. Because in other subjects, they would say, how do you do this, miss? And they would get the answer. And I would say, well, what do you think would be a good solution? So I would try and do it that way. And I was in a position in the last years that I was teaching in the school as an advanced skills teacher where I could work cross-curriculum. And, and I used to use that kind of questioning technique with training teachers from geography and PE, etc. You know, that, that whole simplicity of something which I think is very straightforward has been knocked down by the mainly the Conservatives in the last 11 years who just want a knowledge-rich curriculum where children just learn facts, but they don't know how to apply them. So there's lots of people out there, Lizzie, from, uh, I mean, Ken Robinson has sadly died now, but Bill Lucas and people like that are really pushing the creativity agenda and seeing it as across all aspects of education. I think the thing is as well for, for kids and young adults and, and grown-ups, you, you, you don't always have to give them things and instructions, you know, just having materials and time to problem solve and build things, they will create something amazing from that. And even, you know, at the very beginning, just making a mess. If I'm teaching clay to students, the first few things we make, usually, you know, there's holes in things, things explode in the kiln, 
it's chaos. Kids are like, this is not how I thought this was going to go. But mm -hmm. they have broken down the barrier of working with clay. So the next time they work with clay, they know how it works, they know how to handle it, they know what went wrong last time. You know, those, those skills are pretty essential. And, um, and I find at A-level, when kids are able to choose their own topic, that is mm -hmm. when, that's when the magic happens. If they've got something that they're really passionate about, they can just run with it, what they want to work with, how they're going to do it. And it's just great, you know. They... And not being afraid to make mistakes. Because in, in our education system in England, um, certainly in the, in the earlier years, you don't make mistakes. You get wrong for making mistakes. And art's the only subject left that's got the autonomy to allow that. But because all the other subjects are so rigorous, schools are trying to apply that to the way that the arts are taught as well. Yeah. So how does that link within your own artistic practices? Because obviously you're both artists and artistic people. The way you teach, does that apply to your own way of processing and creating your own work? Yes. Yes, I, I, I don't plan. I, I, I've got my drawing desk to the right of me now. And like, Hannah, Hannah, you're in Sketchbook Circle this year, aren't you? Yeah. And um, I've just got my sketchbook from my partner and I've had a look through it and, and I'm, I've got to respond to what she's done. But I don't plan it. It'll just happen. I, I do apply that to my own practice. When you come out of art college, you worry a little bit because you think you've got to be a successful artist with lots of exhibitions and, and, and a great big long CV and you think that's how it's measured. But because I know so many artists, teachers now, what I'm saying to them is just do what you can do. And, and, and if you're just working on the back of an envelope and you're just responding because you're bored in a meeting or whatever, just do it. Um, the artwork has been taken over a little bit by commercial values of art like I don't know if you saw the Banksy that he did in the, he put a canvas in the hospital the other week and um, it's going to sell for 16.5 million but he wants all the money to go to charity which is wonderful but you know David Hockney is now selling paintings for 80 million pounds who needs 80 million pounds who needs that much money where should that be going yeah I, I very much agree with Susan and I can see it. I've already made a big mistake here because Susan, you've introduced yourself as an artist and I've gone straight in with I'm a teacher and forgotten about all that. And joining the sketchbook circle this year has been, has been brilliant because now I did my fine art degree and then I worked in the studio in 36 Lime Street for four years, which I absolutely adored. And, and that's something that I kind of lost touch with a little bit. It's always been ongoing, really get back into it. And working with the students as well, it, it is so inspiring. I found being away from them in the lockdown I thought that I'd be able to do loads of art and spend loads of time in my studio in my loft and that would be a really creative time but actually I found I found myself at a bit of a loose end and by by being back with the kids like they are just they're just brilliant they, they just have so many great ideas and and just the energy as well I think it's contagious and I think when you're working with people who are creative and have so much going on that what my teacher said, isn't it? Creativity is contagious, pass it on. I had a, uh, a Zoom tutorial actually of lockdown with a, an incredible artist called Marion Half who does collagraphs. Yeah. With mount board or cereal box card. And the work that she creates from sheets of card is just incredible. Yeah. Just the texture, she's like, oh, stab it with anything you've got, you know, scratch it, uh, make some texture, do it with a spoon. 
it's just it's amazing and, and the work is so detailed and and it's from anything it's just you know what we we're saying earlier on you can make it from anything you don't have to have a, a marvelous collection of materials i think what's fascinating about what you've both said there is that it ends up being about challenging the idea of what a real artist is and what a real job is and it's almost saying that what we're currently perceiving or what we've been taught to perceive as a real job and as real art mm. you just have to completely unlearn all of that yeah good that's that's a very good comment um it's funny isn't it because when i have friends that work on foundation courses or fine art courses and they say when the children come to us from school we have to unteach them and i think no you don't actually you know yeah why should why should you assume they come to you and you've got to wipe out their history of when they were in school. You know, it's got to be a mix of different things. And I, I think that's a very insulting phrase, actually. And you get that from secondary school teachers as well. And say, oh, they've come to us from primary and they haven't done this, that and the other. So I've got to unteach them. Rubbish. But yeah, when I read out that list of job titles at the beginning, that's, that's what I am. That's not who I am. Who I am. I'm an artist. The other things only happened because of who I am. This is something that I'm assuming you guys will have heard a lot because I know I've heard it a lot, which is art and creative subjects won't get you a job. You won't be able to get a job if you study them. What's your thoughts and comments based on people that say that? I mean, we could quite easily. <laughs> We've got lots to say about that, haven't we, Susan? I think, yeah. I think like in education... We have trouble with there's lots of parents lots of parents will dissuade kids from uh, pursuing creative careers creative degrees and i mean it, it's it's like anything you if you work hard you can get the job that you want you can make the job that you want and um, susan shares loads of really brilliant infographics uh, on social media there was one recently about the huge scale of the creative industries as yeah. in the uk we mentioned games earlier as well games is such a huge industry uh, it's isn't like tripled over lockdown or something and the northeast is a huge employer for games design and that is that is that's that's a fact that's that's how it is it's it's great and you know it, when you are doing an arts based degree or apprenticeship and people are saying oh you know you what you should maybe do a sensible subject like what is it what is a sensible subject you can do an English degree and still have the same kind of um, there's not going to be millions and millions of jobs you need to you need to gain experience and you need to be passionate and you need to uh, network and and those you'll be able to find your roots oh Hannah's right we can prove it it's just, um, you have to say prior to Brexit because of course obviously Brexit's happened as well as the pandemic but it was the highest growth industry in the United Kingdom and the second biggest earner, the biggest earner was banking, finance, a lot of which has actually now gone abroad, by the way. And if we can revive that creative industries in this country, because I think theatre and film production, etc., has, has suffered a lot, though I wouldn't think that the games industry, it's quintupled, it really has, it's been incredible. The other thing which I think is important to say to young people, you should really do what you love. Because life isn't just about having the biggest car in the street or the, or the gazebo in the garden, right? 
it's about being happy. And if you do what you love, you will always be happy and you will always enjoy what you do. And I think we have to move away. The government uses statistics, which is based on how much money a graduate is earning within three to five years of when they leave university. And they, they use those statistics to punish the arts, right? Because artists don't traditionally start earning a lot of money, right? Because a lot of them are self-employed. But bloody hell, they're happy at what they do. Um, if I was Prime Minister, I, that's what I would want. So the jobs are there. We've just got to be myth busters. What would you say to people who are coming into our education as mature students? Because I know I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm too old to go back and do what I love and study what I wanted to. Or I've just waited too long. I've, I've heard that several times and I personally don't think that it's ever too late to go into what you love. But I'm interested in what you would say to those people. Well, there is actually a course at um, Leeds University of the Arts that I'm a visiting lecturer to. And it is people who have gone out of education and come back and it is a master's course. And what's wonderful when you have your conversations with them is that they were all in that situation where people told them, don't do art, right? You won't get a decent job. And then they've spent 10, 20, 30 years actually regretting it and having, then they've had the courage to come back. So in my kind of personal experience, I'm seeing the people that are coming back and not being afraid to do it. And like Hannah said, the, the person who thinks they're not creative, that, that crocheted a blanket over lockdown, they've realised that they are creative. I think that people can join things like foundation courses and evening classes and just have the absolute time of their lives as well. I always remember I was in the orchestra and there was a man there called Bill and he was 96 and he first picked up a cello when he was 80 and he was in the Wensleydale Orchestra for all those years and he was great and he had the time of his life. So message from Bill, it is never too late. It's a mentor, isn't it? Yeah. So if there's any barriers there, they're not really made by those people. They're made, again, by, we're talking about this restrictive kind of societal view of you go into that box or that box, you know, you can't move from that one into that one, but you can. And distance learning as well, Hannah, now where people can gain their confidence by just signing up for a six-week course in something you know, without feeling that they're going into a room of people to be judged. I'm also interested in looking at the idea of well-being and how that's connected to creativity and creative practice. Do you have any experience with how creativity and arts has helped people with their mental health and well-being? Because I know obviously it's a stressful time in the middle of education. It's, it's so very, it's so very student, student to student. We there is an epidemic of uh, mental health crises for young people in this country and globally. But I, I find that our students are super, super resilient. And the ones that do have various things going on or have had various problems, these students can absolutely throw themselves into their artwork. And, and it can go many different ways. Sometimes it's a fabulous distraction and the students are able to explore something is totally different to their life what they're experiencing uh, beautiful positive colorful artworks 
things like that. And, and we also have students who are exploring things, you know, the, the, in, in a cathartic manner. It's really an outlet for them. Um, and it's, it's just such a huge spectrum. And they really, really rely kind of on their, their artwork to keep them to keep them going and it, 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 it makes such a difference and the students can throw themselves in to whatever it is they're, they're working on mm-hmm. in a way that really really helps them and sometimes it's not about you know the the coursework the artwork the exam there's things like the art club and students will set mm-hmm. up their own art club they'll set up their own workshop or they'll say can I stay after school and and try the pottery wheel and make a huge mess and I'm like yeah Students at the minute have been setting up zines, furiously angry about the things that are going on, things that are happening to young women. And they are making collaborative zines, they are working together, they are self-publishing. And it's just incredible. It's incredible the energy that these guys have. I think the whole history of civilization and art is about art being a very healing thing. Um, Lizzie, I mentioned my role in INSEA to you, and INSEA was set up after the Second World War by a great art historian called Sir Herbert Reed to heal the youth of Europe who had been damaged by everything that had gone on in in their their, um, countries and their personal lives. And if you look at the history of art from Louis Wayne to Frida Kahlo to Tracy Emin, you know, art is seriously important in individual well-being and I know you talked about students there but we also have been talking about adult learners here at the last parliamentary meeting which we had a few months ago um, all the speakers that I brought to that meeting worked in prisons art education in prisons now that was fascinating because during lockdown they haven't been allowed to go into prisons to work with prisoners and there's um, the, the work that they showed from previous to that and the comments and statements from people who had been affected by having that artistic release when incarcerated in prison was empowering beyond belief. You know, so there's lots of evidence to support that and um, the mental health and also the physical well-being of a lot of people. And there's a great movement at the moment. Um, I'm about to start mentoring a, a disabled artist. Um, there's a great movement at the moment into recognising that no matter what your level of physical disability is, you can access the arts because that helps you deal with that and brings you more into society, which is very good at excluding disabilities, whether they're mental or physical or both. Have you experienced a devaluing or defunding of art in education? Because I know when I was doing my GCSEs, I was specifically taken out of my art GCSE lessons to study a different subject that they thought would be more beneficial to me. And so they'd say, oh, you still have to complete your art GCSE, but you're not going to be in the lessons for it because we think it'd be better spent at German or whichever subject that they decided they think I would need more assistance in. Um, have you experienced anything like that? Yeah, it's, the, it's since 2010 when the coalition government got in and then Michael Gove created, literally on the back of an envelope, a list of subjects called them the English Baccalaureate and has told schools, well, he hasn't now because he's not in that job, um, schools have been told they have to make these 
five or six subjects um, key priority areas. So that, that means that the arts have been um, decimated across the entire secondary curriculum, but also in primary, because in primary you're judged only on numeracy and literacy and your year six SATs. So yeah, we, we've seen it. We've seen the most atrocious damning of the arts and only brave head teachers and brave schools that have um, fought against it ethical leadership as it were like Durham Sixth Form Centre to be honest I think um, I think obviously that you know there, there's um, barriers certainly into getting FE you know often to stay on you have to have had certain grades yeah. to get on certain courses and, and that's that's you know a huge barrier there um, but the students that, that I've worked with particularly neurodivergent students have yeah. just been incredible like the work that these students create um, is just outstanding and so different to the way that other students are working particularly with writing and painting these guys are just they just really lead the way and will they can make anything out of anything you know particularly these students as well are incredibly passionate a lot of them a lot of these students have explored um kind of there's particularly recently one's been looking at autism and attitudes in america and has been making small publications about this looking at really sort of really disturbing content but it's so passionate about these topics and it's just blows me away i don't think you need to go to university i think that's a myth as well um i work a bit with the heritage crafts association and they're desperately trying to get money for apprenticeships so that at 18 if you liked working with your hands you could be apprenticed to a thatcher or a, a, an iron worker or a blacksmith you know I, 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 I'm not convinced of the value of a degree as I was maybe 20 years ago all right so I guess what I want to know now is there any projects or things that you guys are working on at the moment that you want to talk about and share the group that Hannah and I are both in Neaton we've done we've done webinars and, and we, we've joined up with another group down in Norwich and we're having a ball aren't we Hannah considering <laughs> no well you, I knew those people in Norwich but you lot didn't know them at all until four or five months ago and, and that's going to grow and grow and grow and um, as part of my international work we've been doing international webinars and, and not just doing it about education kind of bringing people from different European countries together to talk about it and that's been fantastic because that's led to things afterwards um so there's there's a lot going on actually <laughs> oh there's always there's always plenty going on um yeah if you can follow Neaton on Twitter and Instagram it is Neaton Art I believe. some of my students are doing an online exhibition very soon um, our Instagram as well so that's DSFC Art and see all the different things that they're up to and um, some of our foundation students do takeovers as well you can see a day in the life of with those guys so i'm sure that'll be that'll be coming up soon neaton people paul has written a book um about drawing so we're going to do a book launch online and he's going to launch his book 
alongside a lady called Andrea Zafariku, who actually in 2018, she's an art teacher, she won the Global Teacher Award, she won $1 million, and she set up an artist in residence charity. And I'm on Twitter, I am at the art criminal, which was something I made up on the spur of the moment about 15 years ago, and I've never regretted the name since. All right, so that brings us to a close for this discussion on arts education. It has been fantastic to speak to both of you, Hannah and Susan. So thank you everybody for listening and see you next time. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.